Well, good morning, CBF. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Oh, my. I am Pam Russell. I'm the women's chaplain at the Indiana State House. But I wanted to tell you first about a significant weekend in my life about 41 years ago. I know, for some of you, that's a long time ago. <laughs> but on the Saturday, I was sworn in as a US citizen. And I was given this, canons of citizenship. And I thought, as we are living out our citizenship, this was kind of appropriate. So I will have it on display. We are meeting in the back room, the big room afterwards. But then on the Sunday, on the Sunday, I was baptized and declared my public citizenship in heaven through that Lord Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. Praise Him. But that weekend shaped the trajectory of my life from there on to where I am today and what I'm doing today. Praise the Lord. All right, so we've got a slideshow for you. Maybe there we are. So I work with Public Servants Prayer. It was founded by my friend Matthew Barnes, who is uh, my boss. It's almost 20 years ago today when the Lord placed on him the burden from 1 Timothy chapter 2 to pray for kings or governors and all those in authority. And he walked into the state house cold to see about praying. But that's his story. But 20 years later on, we have a full ministry at the state house. And so we, our tagline, our tagline is prayer and pastoral care in the political arena. Now, we are not lobbyists. We, are, we do not lobby for Christian concerns. Pastoral care is our main thing, and we keep that the main thing with prayer. So this is what God has done. So my bailiwick is, are the women of the, of the state house. So I'm the women's chaplain. But I gave, I've got a picture there for you of uh, the State House in the dark, because during session, Matt and I and Jessica, who is with us today, uh, we arrive at O Dark 30, and we do not leave till it's dark at night. We barely see any daylight, but as long as legislators and staff are there, we are there as chaplains, a ministry of presence, ministering to them. And so the women then are my bailiwick. So that's me in the middle, and to my right, is Senator Stacy Donato. These are state, uh, your state leaders. And to my left is Representative Elizabeth Roray. And those are some of the ladies from my, my Bible study. And you may recognize uh, one of your statewide elected leaders among them there. But uh, the Lord has granted great favor. And this year we have gone, this, we have completed our 13th year of women's Bible study at the State House, so we are very grateful for that and we praise God for that. One of the things that we also do is reach out to the staff and interns, and so we have a, a, a books and bagels morning for them to reach them and to get to know them. And we also have Women's State House Day. We started that, we, our next one will be our 10th, and so we praise God for that, but that's where we invite women to come from all over the state to meet their legislators, to pray with them, to pray for them, and have lunch with them, fulfilling our commission. So ladies, be watching for the next one coming up. Uh, we started a new ministry this year, which is called Faith at Work. 
It is hosted by our Secretary of Education, Dr. Katie Jenner, and that is reaching out to future leaders. That is for our interns and young staff talking about uh, how faith works in the po political arena. And then I've been invited this year, not the first time, but we do get invited to pray at big events in the State House, and this was me praying, giving the benediction, uh, the swearing in of one of our statewide leaders. And then this one is the most recent one, and that is because our Senator Sandlin from the south side of Indianapolis passed away suddenly uh, two weeks ago, and so Matt was invited to be a part of the planning, execution, and the uh, emceeing the funeral for, for Senator Sandlin. And, um, uh, and that, was take, that took place in the State House itself, which is unusual. And then uh, last weekend I was in Valparaiso. I was invited to speak there as a regional, sort of a regional takeoff from what we do at the State House, where they're doing a regional prayer brunch for, our, for their local leaders there. And so uh, we like to see the growth. Anyway, on the international scene, we traveled to uh, Switzerland this year. We were part of a conference there where what we do is we cast the vision for what we do to ministering to political leaders in their nations around the world. And so there were 37 countries represented there, and that was elected leaders and pastoral leaders casting the vision and training them to do what we do. And this next slide is a picture of the fruit of it. So we had an impromptu picnic lunch with a group from Burkina Faso in West Africa. They immediately went home, and they made an appointment to see their president, and they met with him. So the bottom picture is them meeting with their president to pray with him. So a couple of tools that we have. You can come and uh, catch us afterwards. I want to give Matt all the time that I can. So you can go to our website, and I'll pull that up quickly to show you that you can find the three to pray for every day from uh, your statewide leaders. Uh, for our Indiana leaders, you can go to any state and get the names of them too. So three to pray for every day. I think you can manage three a day, don't you? We'd like to make it easy for you. And so this coming, coming Wednesday, CBF is doing a prayer walk at the State House. But first of all, as you, uh, there will be uh, a tour of the State House by Matt. And you can't, you can't miss a tour done by Matt because you get the God tour of what's going on at the State House. Is that it? I think that's it. So now it is my great pleasure to introduce my dear friend and colleague, Matthew Barnes. And he likes to say that he is, in his in, for an introduction, all he wants me to say is that he loves God, he loves his family, and he loves politicians. Would you, would you give him a warm welcome, please? Good morning, and thank you, Pam. What a blessing it is to partner with Pam Russell, and I also want to say thank you to your pastor, Pastor Hoffaditz, and he's a great friend of Pam and mine, and it's an honor to be here in this pulpit. Looking forward to your next building and your move, and uh, it's, it's appropriate to say this is not your home, and that'll come into play as we move further into the message but it is truly an honor to be here. As you heard, Pam has a British accent. 
which comes into play very well in the State House. And as Hoosiers, we like to hear a British accent. And as Pam mentioned, we often pray in the State House, and oftentimes we're asked to pray to open the House of Representatives or open the, House, uh, the Senate in prayer. During the COVID session, there were, we didn't bring in outside pastors to open, so we took those duties on for the full entire session. Every other day, we would trade off. And, and they like her prayer so much, in fact, that um, every once in a while, when, when she, had, she had opened up, it was later, it was a year or two later, and she had opened up in prayer the House of Representatives, and, and I had opened it up the next day. And while I had just opened prayer, we're sitting in our spot on the House of Representatives floor, and a legislator came over just to, uh, and sometimes they'll lean in and say, hey, I appreciated that prayer. And so they lean into Pam and I as we're sitting there, and, and they did. They said, well, we re- they, this legislator said, I really appreciated your prayer yesterday, Pam. I had just prayed. <clears throat> So they like her prayers better than mine, and, and uh, it's great. It's wonderful. Um, but So we have, we have partnered together now 13 years, Pam and I have, in reaching political leaders with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it would be obvious to say that our political leaders need Jesus. Amen? They need the Lord. And it's easy for us to criticize. For some reason, it's hard for us to pray. And yet, prayer is what we're commanded to do. I exhort, therefore, in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All men includes political leaders. Pam likes to say, for God so loved politicians. See, our political leaders are simply people. They hurt, they feel, they bleed the same as you and I. And so if we're looking at them as people, we should, and God loves people, right? We we would agree with that. God loves people. And I want to love what God loves, don't you? I mean, I do. I want to love what God loves. So if God loves people, you should love people. And if God loves people and politicians are people, then you should also love politicians. So at the count of three, I want you to say, I love politicians with me, all right? So one, two, three, I love politicians. Some of you didn't say it. And, and that's good. I'm glad, <clears throat> glad you're being honest. That's great. But hopefully, um, just through a little bit of scripture, we can begin to understand why we should love our political leaders and also what God has done in my life to do that. So I'll give you maybe 10 minutes or so of a testimony of why and how. I was talking to Anthony just before service. How did you get started in this? And so I'll give you that, and then I want to get into the Word. And so how did I arrive in the Capitol to minister and love political leaders? Well, growing up in, um, I grew up in the first 10 years of my life just across the border in Ohio, near Cincinnati, Ohio, in the shadow of a tomb, it was the William Henry Harrison tomb, and for some reason, it just stuck in my mind that I wanted to be president of the United States. So I was eight years old, that's what I wanted to be, was president of the United States. The only problem is, in the ensuing years, just kind of fast forward, um, I, I lost all my hair. And uh, in the modern era of television and internet, we have not elected a bald president. And so my chances of being president went away with my hair, and that's okay. God had other plans, but that was, my, that was my plan. 
And so then about, about eight years old, my mom also came to me and said, you like Abraham Lincoln? Yes, I want to be like Abraham Lincoln. She said, no, Abraham Lincoln was homeschooled. Do you want to be homeschooled? Hey, if it's good enough for Abraham Lincoln, it's good enough for me. And so I was home educated as well. And so uh, that's why I'm very antisocial. Um, you'll, you homeschoolers will get that. And so I was antisocial in that way, but also I'm kind of backwards and um, I'm just afraid of people. I'm an introvert's introvert. And so God is just, he really has worked in my life. And as I was turning 19 years old, I was working on campaigns to turn 19 years old. And instead of pursuing politics, God impressed upon my heart to be a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to pursue ministry as a calling. And my dad is a pastor, so that all fit, but it just changed my plans. And so I began pursuing that, working bivocationally as a, uh, actually a hardware salesman at Home Depot. And, and what I realized was that God, he has a way of using us wherever we are. And I was a freight crew guy first at Home Depot. This story is very important to understanding how I arrived where I am. And while I was a freight crew guy, you had to cluck in at 4 a.m., and I don't like getting up early. I'd rather stay up till 2 than get up at 2. But that's just me. And so I had to get up about 3 o'clock in the morning, go into work, clock in at 4 a.m. And to add insult to injury, not only do I not like to get up early, uh, we had a boss that First uh, Peter 2 describes my boss. The King James Version, it says, uh, it, it says, Servants, be subject to your masters, not only to the good and gentle bosses, but also to the froward. Uh, you know what froward means? It means jerks, right? That's what it means. So not only good and gentle bosses, but also those bosses. And so I'm getting up at 4 a.m., and I have to work with this guy. It was so bad, in fact, that if you've ever been around nighttime freight crew guys, they can be a rough lot. And, and so uh, one of the guys comes up to me and says, Matt, he says, I'm, I'm going to go give our boss a hug. And this guy was a meanest man contest winner. He was a cage fighter. And uh, he was UFC before UFC was UFC, and, and that's what this guy was. And I knew then that when he says he wants to give the boss a hug, he was, he was just going to kill him. And uh, I didn't like the boss, but I didn't want him to die. And so I said, guys, what if we do something different? In the morning when we clock in, what if we, we begin to pray for our boss? And the other guy's like, Matt, and my brother was on the team. He's like, sure, Matt. So the next morning we clock in, we find the tile aisle at Home Depot, and we began to pray for our boss. And we did that the next day, and the next day, and the next day. And we continue to pray for him. A couple weeks go by, the boss comes into the break room while we're taking a break, and he says, hey, I want to take you all to eat at Cracker Barrel across the street, my treat. Well, that was different. And so we jumped in the back of his truck, went to Cracker Barrel, and you got to love anybody to take you to Cracker Barrel. They're just good people. <laughs> And so we eat breakfast, and we go back over to Home Depot, and as we got out of the truck, the guy that was going to give our boss a hug, hug, he says, thank you, Uncle Jim. And I realized something had changed. That was a term of endearment. Something had changed. A direct result of us praying for our boss changed our boss's heart towards us. Prayer works. Prayer changes things. Now, I, I, you, you don't take that and go start praying for that person that doesn't like you and you don't like them. And say, well, I know in two weeks it's going to change. I can't guarantee that. What I can guarantee is this. I noticed something had changed in us as well. It is impossible to hate someone you're earnestly praying for. You will end up loving them. Our response to our boss had changed as a direct result of us praying for him 
In fact, later on in the day, that day, he came by and said, Matt, could I join you for prayer in the morning? He had noticed us praying, of course. And as a result of our missionary work at Home Depot, God saw some of those folks drawn to him and saved by the marvelous grace of God. And there are people in churches today down in that neck of the woods that are serving Jesus and loving him because of that missionary work at Home Depot. Wherever you are, that's your mission field. So this idea of living out your citizenship really started for me at Home Depot as I'm thinking, I'm praying for my boss. And then God followed me on vacation one year in 2004, October of 2004. And I heard a message out of 1 Timothy 2 to pray for those in authority over us. And I thought, I want to do that. How do I do that? So I called my mom. She's always super practical. And uh, so I called her and I'm like, mom, what do I do with this idea of praying for leaders? She said, well, and how do I do that? She said, well, why don't you just go ask them how to pray for them? And so I called up my local, local county commissioner and is there any way that we could meet? Sure. Is anything wrong? No. And I didn't know the guy. And so we just sat and talked in his barn about family, life, horses, farming. But I had that one question I wanted to ask him. And that was, how can I pray for you? And so I did. And he said, oh, two things. Off the top of his head, a rural Ripley County commissioner had two things off the top of his head. And I thought, what happens if I take that to the next level? Called my state representative. She gave me a prayer request. And then I, my dad encouraged me to go to the state house. So I walked into the state house, didn't know anyone. And walked in there, and mom said, make sure you check in with the chaplain. So I went up to the tour desk and said, can I speak with the chaplain? And they said, well, actually, we don't, we don't have a chaplain. We've never had a chaplain in Indiana State House history. But we have a really nice chapel room. And so we have a chapel. We're the first state house in the nation to have a chapel room in the building. So we had a chapel with no chaplain, kind of like a, a car without an engine. And so she gave me a list of all of my elected leaders all 100, 100 members of the House, 50 members of the Senate. I went up to that room, closed the door, and began to pray for every one of them by name. And God gripped my heart with a burden to pray with them, for them. I went home, and I asked my wife, because I had previously been working at Home Depot, and I wanted to do ministry, and I was chomping at the bit. I would say, hey, honey, what about quitting my job and just launching out into full-time ministry? And she would say, well, what ministry? I would say, well... You know, Abraham, uh, God told him just to set out and he would show him where to go. And she would look at me and say, you're not Abraham. And that, that was wise, that was good. And so this time I said, what about starting a ministry in our capital? Quit the job and move to Indy. And <clears throat> amazingly, uh, we had a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a six-month-old. And I'm suggesting quitting my job. And amazingly, she said, let's go. <clears throat> so we did. And we show up at a hotel room in downtown Indianapolis with no, no promise of any benefits or pay or job description. First day on the job, I arrive. I pulled up at the corner of Ohio and Senate. And I got gripped with that fear, introvert fear, <clears throat> that homeschool introversion, right? It's the antisocial behavior. I'm looking at the building and thinking, that's intimidating. So I did what any scared 27-year-old kid would do. I picked up the phone and called my mommy. <laughs> I'm like, Mom, because I'm scared now. It was a great idea, but now I'm scared. What should I do? And here's what I actually asked her. I said, why didn't God call Ryan, my brother? Why didn't God call Ryan? You're all thinking Moses and Aaron, right? 
Because Ryan's the extrovert. Ryan never meets a stranger. He would do great at this. And mom said, the reason God called you and not Ryan is because you, Matthew, are weak. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <clears throat> That's so helpful. Not practical at all, but she said, Here's, you are weak, and when God does something amazing with you in five to ten years, you'll know it had nothing to do with you and everything to do with God. Because in your weakness... God will be strong. And I've never forgotten that advice. It was great spiritual advice. Hung up with her, and I was like, yeah, but she didn't give me anything practical. Lord, could you give me something practical to do? Something I can actually do. And you know that Holy Spirit nudging in your heart? It was just that still, small voice in my heart that just said, hey, Matt, get out of the van. It was, and I had done that before, and and so I thought, I can do that. So I get out of the van, I started walking into the building, and, and God just began ordering the steps. And I went up to the Senate, said, hey, I'm Reverend Matthew Barnes, and I'd, I'd like to meet with my senator. Never met him before. And they said, well, just a minute, let me call the office, see if he's available. And so she calls the office. While she does that, another lady came out from behind the wall there, and she said, did you say that you're a minister? I, I am. She said, well, we don't have a minister to open the Senate session in prayer today. Would you be willing to do that? Oh, I've been there 19 years now, and I haven't, uh, haven't seen that happen. They don't just grab random people. And um, so, of course, my dad says be ready to preach, pray, or die at a moment's notice, and so I'm good. And so I walked in, met the lieutenant governor who presides over the Senate, met my senator, opened in prayer, went home that weekend. There was a big five-by-seven picture of me in the newspaper. County minister opened Senate session in prayer. And realized at that point that God can do whatever he wants to do, however he wants to do it. He could pluck a guy from selling two-by-fours at Home Depot and put him in the state house, and then guess what? He gets all the glory. It's all about him. Lifting up the name of Jesus in the high place of man and calling on those leaders to trust in the Lord. That's our heart. That's Pam's heart. That's our team's heart, is to reach political leaders with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Living out your citizenship. I want you to go to 1 Peter chapter number 2. 1 Peter chapter number 2 is, as I have been in the ministry now 19 years, I see the word through a particular prism, and I'm sure uh, you ask almost any missionary, they're going to do the same, um, even hearing the missionary to athletes in action. You begin to see scripture, and you see the metaphors that Paul uses, and all of these things about the word and, and reaching whatever field. And so I see the word of God, and it is fascinating that there's this thread of reaching leaders throughout scripture and certainly uh, you see some of it here in first peter chapter number two and we'll start out reading in verse number nine and read through verse number 17 first peter chapter number two starting in verse number nine i'll be reading from the king james it'll be fairly fairly similar as well but ye are a chosen generation a royal priesthood and holy nation a peculiar people that you should shew forth the praises of him who had called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme or unto governors, as unto them which are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. 
For so is the will of God that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free and not using your liberty as a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it convicts us, it teaches us. Lord, I pray that even this morning you will speak through your word, hide me behind the cross, and may my words be pleasing in your sight. In Christ's name, amen. This passage here is written by Peter, and Peter has a great story. There's so much we could say about him and the the one who's holding the pen while the Lord is inspiring him. But Peter is also a student of history and of Israel, and he understands this idea of a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. And he's also instructing this new body of believers that they are to have their conversation, their conduct, their manner of life, their way of speaking honest among the Gentiles or the non-believers. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they shall behold glorify God in the day of visitation. Does that remind you of anything? Remember Matthew chapter number 5 and verse number 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And so Peter here is is bringing in a little bit of Jesus' quote here and applying it to citizenship. I find it fascinating. Even the founders of our country had this same idea, did they not? Uh, You think of Daniel Webster who said this. He basically said, a good Christian does a good citizen make. He said it a little differently than that. Uh, he actually said whatever makes men good, citizens, good Christians makes them good citizens. And so if you're a good Christian, you should be a good citizen. That means uh, following the laws. And you find that in Romans 13, where he very clearly says to make sure you're following the laws. And he also says there to pay your taxes, but I'm going to stop. I don't want to step on my toes. Um, but he does. All their dues, he says. Really? A good Christian does a good citizen Make, But I think there's more here as Peter is talking about interacting with our world. And we certainly have a heavenly citizenship. I appreciated Pam opening up with that, becoming a U.S. citizen and then identifying with the Lord's citizenship, the citizens of the, of the heavenly country the next day. And so I want, to, want you to turn briefly to another passage of Scripture back in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter number 29. Jeremiah chapter number 29. Again, all of this weaves together and you see a theme and a thread. Jeremiah chapter number 29 and starting in verse number 5. The context here is Jeremiah is writing to people that have been taken away in exile. God is disciplining his children and they are away and and it's a sad time. But yet look at what Jeremiah tells them. He's sending them a letter. You'll find that in the previous verses. Sends them a letter, and here's what he writes to these people taken away captive. Verse number five. Build ye houses, and dwell in them, and plant gardens, and eat the fruit of them. Take ye wives, and beget sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons, and give your daughters to, your husband, to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, that you may be increased there and not diminished. This is fascinating. And seek the peace of the city 
whither I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray unto the Lord for it, and the peace thereof shall ye have peace. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Let not your prophets and your diviners that be in the midst of you deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams which ye, have, which ye caused to be dreamed. For they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. Those that say, oh, it will be back quickly. Verse number 10, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. Then we all know this particular verse. We've heard it. This is the context of it, though. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end or a hope and a future, as other versions may say it. Now, this is a tough letter for Jeremiah to write to people that are sad because they remember home. And what was home? And you find that right in that first verse, he sent it from Jerusalem. The word Jerusalem, you could say it in Hebrew, Yerushalem. You see that word shalem or shalom, it's city of peace, is what it was where he's writing from. But what's he telling them is this wordplay in the Hebrew. You see it here. He's, ta- he's ca- talking from Jerusalem, but then he also says, as he says, seek, look at verse number seven, seek the peace, the shalom of the city wherewith I've caused you to be carried captive. This had to hit them in the heart. They wanted to be back home in Jerusalem. And then God is telling them, seek the peace of that city. I would submit to you today, you are in exile. You are pilgrims, strangers, and exiles. And you see that in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says very specifically, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, is what the King James says, or those in exile... He's talking to people like you and I. This is the, more the application. You understand the context. Peter's understanding the context. And he's telling you and I, seek the peace of the city where I have planted you. I did also find it interesting. He says, you're going to be there 70 years. <laughs> this is fascinating. You know what the psalmist says about your lifespan? Three score and ten? About 70 so this is, all this wordplay comes in, and you might have about 70 years, but there's something in us as believers that we know this world is not our home. We long for something better, and one of the reasons we long for something better is we see, we see the bad things around us. Now, there are times when it's, this world is wonderful, but there's times when it's not. When we are offended, when we are wronged, when we are sinned against, when we are, dare we say, persecuted. The word of God is telling us, seek the peace of the city where you are for your entire lifespan. How do you do that? One of the ways of seeking the peace of your city, the peace of your country, is to pray for it and to pray for those in authority over it. And you find that back again, the application that Peter is saying to submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, but have your conversation, your conduct, your manner of life honest among them, that they may see your good works and glorify God in the day of visitation. Matthew Henry says this day of visitation would be, um, it could potentially be when they actually come and visit them and see what they're doing. It's possible. 
But more than likely, it's when God visits their heart. To draw them to himself, they say, oh, I re- that, that makes sense. I met somebody who followed Jesus. Several years ago, I, had, I was already in the ministry and doing the ministry, and I had this thought, what would happen? We've seen God do amazing things in the capital. What would happen if we took it to a local level? So I thought I'd just try it. And so I went to, we were living in Greensburg, Indiana at the time, and I thought, well, what would happen if I just go to the city council meeting? And so I just went there, and being the natural introvert that I am, I just went, I sat, I listened to the entire council meeting. I was one of maybe five people there. Uh, they kept looking at me funny, you know, wondering what I was doing. And, um, and so I just sat, listened, and prayed silently. And I got up and left. And the next month I came, I sat, I listened, I prayed. I was learning more about my city, and I left. The third time I was there, I sat, listened, prayed, getting ready to leave, and the mayor caught me. He says, hey, who are you? <laughs> well, I'm just Matt Barnes, and I'm just here to pray for you. Oh, he says, oh, wonderful. How about Wednesday at noon? Ah, uh, Sure. And so I show up Wednesday at noon and get ushered into his office, and we sit down, and he just, tears started coming down his face, and he said, I'm just having a hard time it's just in my personal life, politically, it's just hard, and I'm so glad you came here to pray for me. <laughs> so he was just waiting. It's almost like he really needed somebody to come and pray for him. And so I would say that that could happen in every city in Indiana, in every county. In Indiana alone, we have 10,746 elected leaders in Indiana. I've been told we have more elected leaders than California has. Yay! One up on California. And so we have all of these locally elected leaders. They're all around us. They're our neighbors. They're our friends. And, and so we have opportunities to reach them and to seek the peace. And I would love to see God raise up people, whether they be a pastor, a lay leader, any person that's willing to go into a city hall, to go into a county courthouse, and sit, listen, and pray. Because we already established the fact that God changes things through prayer. And wouldn't that be amazing if in the 92 counties in the state of Indiana, we had people going and actively praying for our political leaders? It works. So having your conversation, your manner of life, your, your conduct, part of that would be to pray for those in authority. Now, he says specifically, Peter does, to submit yourself to every ordinance of man. Now, this is where, well, there was that one verse, you remember, and it was, they were saying, hey, I'd rather obey God than man. Well, you know who said that? The same guy that wrote this. And I'm not talking about the Holy Spirit. It's the same pen holder who said, it's better to obey God rather than man says here, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. How hard would it be for you at your place of employment if all the time you're breaking the rules and wanting to do things your own way and, and then you tell, try to tell your boss, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. It might not work very well because it's not matching. Your conduct is not matching. The people of Israel taken away captive into Babylon. They needed their manner of life and speaking to match the God to whom they claimed to serve. Whether it be to governors or to them which are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers. I want you to look at verse number 17 very quickly. Honor all men. This is back in 1 Peter 2, 17. Honor all men. Love the brotherhood. 
fear God, honor the king. Have you ever heard this phrase? Oh, I will respect the office, but not the person. Uh, because they're trying, we're trying to bifurcate the two. Uh, somehow implying that that person, that person is not worthy of my respect. Um, well, what does the Bible say? Honor all men and honor the king. So I would say it's impossible to say I'll honor the office but not the person. And what is the greatest way to bless someone? I think it's to pray for them. But particularly, why aren't we sending people to go reach if we all think leaders need Jesus? We should be sending people to go reach them for Jesus. I was not two months on the job, quote-unquote job, and starting in the Capitol. And I was just walking around asking people how I could pray for them. And God was opening up door after door after door. And a legislator came to me, and he said, hey, um, you're, you're a pastor, and so I want to know, it's a big moral issue of the day was coming up, and, um, and he says, I want to know what your opinion is and what the Bible says about this moral issue. And I realized, and I told him, I said, it, really, my opinion doesn't matter. The word of God's what matters. And so I'm happy to do that. So we sat for an hour and a half, and I just explained to him, because moral issues, guess what? They're just sin issues. And I, I, as a pastor, I understand how to deal with sin issues. So we sat down, and I shared with this legislator, realized he didn't know Jesus. And so I'm just sharing with him that we're all in this sinking ship of sin, needing the lifeboat of Jesus Christ to rescue us. For an hour and a half, I just explained the gospel to this legislator. And at the end of the conversation, I didn't even ask him how he was going to vote. He had told me, uh, my wife doesn't want me to vote for that, because that's... Uh, it would be the biblical side of things. My wife doesn't want me to vote that way. My daughter doesn't want me to vote that way. My district doesn't want me to vote that way. And so I'm just wondering what your thoughts were. And so I walked away not even asking him how he was going to vote. It came time for the vote. And as I was sitting in the gallery, and we do that, I was doing that for the, for the first nine years of the ministry, I sat in the gallery, and then I was invited onto the floor. We've been there ever since for the past 10 years. But I was sitting in the gallery, and I'm watching the vote. Green is for it. Red is against it. Green would be for the biblical side of things. Red would be against that. And his name was on there, but it wasn't showing up whether he was voting or not. Came down to almost ready to close the machine, and he voted for it on the biblical side. And I was surprised. I ran and told a friend of mine, it just passed 76-23. And the friend I was talking to was a senator, and he said, well, we all had that figured at 75-24. It was just one vote, and that one vote switched. Reporters gathered around this legislator. Why did you vote? Back home, why did you vote for this? And in the paper, he was quoted as saying, well, I have become a Christian, and I want to vote the way God would want me to vote, and so the Bible says this is the way it is, and so that's the way I'm going to vote, and that's why I voted that way. He began attending rallies for the very thing he used to be against, in fact, at one of the rallies, and a pastor friend of mine was there, and he got up and said, I was, I was planning on voting against this, but there was a young man who came and told me about Jesus and showed me how to be saved. And he said, so I've changed, and I want to follow what God wants me to do. And 
the pastor went up to him afterwards and said, do you know Matt Barnes? That's the young man I was talking about. I was young at that time. And that's the young man I was talking about. And so time went by. I didn't really have interaction with him. It was outside of session. And a couple months later, that legislator died. And it really put an emphasis on my heart as to why I'm in the Capitol. There are plenty of people who do the lobbying, and they do a great job at all of that. That's wonderful. They have their place. But for me, my goal is to keep the main thing the main thing. And that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. God knew when that man's time was about to be up. And so he sent someone along to share about Jesus. And he accepted, and I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven one day. What a joy that will be. And so, so here, I think that's part of seeking the peace of the city wherewith we are called. We are strangers, pilgrims, exiles in this world. This world is not our home. This building's not your church home. But ultimately, this city, this state, this nation is not our ultimate home. We yearn for something better as believers. But you know, there are a lot of people around you that this is the closest to heaven they may ever experience. Oh, how sad that is. Your job is to seek the peace, the shalom. And one day we're going to have that new Jerusalem that we're going to. We have that promise as believers. Let us not hide it. Let's tell others about it so that we can demonstrate to a lost world. So, I would encourage you, as you're, and we appreciate greatly, you, you, sent, uh, you sent Pam, you sent her down to the State House. You, you have sent me, you support us at the State House. But the field is wide and ripe. As Pam said, we go around the world, and my heart, as yours has been the past couple days, has been really broken as we've seen the videos and things that are coming out of Israel. Several years ago, we began taking legislators to Israel. It was interesting. We had actually, several months ago, planned a trip to Israel. We were supposed to leave in a couple days. But several months ago, they said, you know, we just we can't find lodging. It's just not going to work. And we had to cancel with the legislators that were wanting to come. Sorry, we can't go. And they were all disappointed. And now I think I know why. God knows, and I'm grateful. So we're still planning one for May, and that's all set to go, and we'll see what God does, but it's certainly hard to see that. But it has been, the, one of the honors of my life is to be able to speak in the Knesset several years ago. And you see folks there, those political leaders, we bring political leaders from here to Israel to establish gospel-centered relationships with political leaders in Israel. It's our heart to see some of them come to know the Messiah, right? But you do that by building relationships and by praying for them. It's the same as here, and we do that around the world, and God is at work. Aren't you glad to know that what you see in the news is not all that's happening? You, some of you may not have known that there was a full ministry in the State House. Every week, there are multiple Bible studies going on in the State House. Pam mentioned hers every Tuesday. We also have a weekly Bible study with legislators. During session, that weekly Bible study, 30 to 40 legislators gather in the governor's office around his conference table, and we had to put in extra chairs so they can study the word of God together. 
And when we study the Word of God, we're just walking through the Word of God, and then we pray together. And it's both parties are there. And in fact, one of the one of member of a, a opposing party to many that are there says it's helpful to me because as I'm praying with them in that room, I go out on the Senate floor, and it's really hard for me to hit them over top of the head because I was just praying with them. Former Speaker of the House says this about the ministry in the State House. He says, "You and Pam and others have fundamentally changed the atmosphere and the culture of the Indiana State House." It's because, now he gave an exact example, he says, because when a legislator may be wanting to get up to the microphone and they might be planning on saying something not nice about a fellow member, they look over and they've got a pastor sitting there praying for them. And it changes what they're about to say. All we're doing is having our conversation, our conduct, honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers. And let's be clear. Our world is changing. Our country is changing. It can make you angry, but I would ask you to make it make you pray. What can you do to seek the peace where you are? God wants us to be a light so that others see and glorify him. What are you doing? Are you actively praying? Are you sharing with your coworker? Things may be getting darker, but be of good cheer. Our captain has overcome it all. This morning as you pray for us, pray as we do these Bible studies. One of the things we also do is we get, and you'll see one of these back in the back, but one of the things we also do is we give Bibles to our leaders. We put the state seal on the Bible, and we put their own name on it. And we have pastors give these to their elected leaders. I'll never forget the very first time that I rolled in 200 Bibles. It was the first time we were giving them to everybody. And we had 100 pastors coming in to give the Bibles away, and I'm rolling them into the state house, all these cases, and, and the, was rolling by security, and they say, what's in the boxes? And I said, well, it's Bibles. And they said, okay, go on through. And, and I thought, as I walked by, I thought, they have no idea the weapon that I just rolled into the Capitol. <laughs> And when this thing goes off in the hearts and the lives of the people here, God is going to transform this place. And so we gave them to leaders. And we, were actually, we actually give Bibles. Sometimes it's the very first Bible an elected leader has ever owned. And one of them that received that new Bible, he literally said, I probably shouldn't touch it. It might burn me. And he was serious. Later on on the house floor, he had the Bible. He's open it, looking at it. And we just pray that God's word will not return void. And so pray for us, but look for opportunities for you because we're in this exile, pilgrimage, sojourning together and we have a new Jerusalem living out your citizenship. Let's pray. Father, Lord, this is, your word is convicting. We want to complain and we want to criticize. Yet you have called us to seek the peace of the city and of the place where you have called us to be for 70 years on average. Lord, help us to live well, to lift your name up so that we can see men and all people drawn to you. Break our heart for what breaks yours, Lord. And may we see our coworkers, 
and our fellow laborers, whether we're going to school with them, may we see them come to know you as their Savior so we can see true peace and shalom in their life. In Jesus' name, amen.